one and all, and welcome to Film Fragments, a podcast where we take fragments of an actor, director, and genre and tell you our favorites from their catalog. My name is Brian Seffield. I'm your host, and today we'll be talking about our favorite films directed by Oscar nominee Christopher Nolan in honor of the hotly anticipated three-hour R-rated epic that will make (laughs) everyone's minds explode, Oppenheimer, which hits theaters on July 21st. And I'm super excited to be talking with our guest today. She is a writer and podcaster, senior critic at Full Circle Cinema, and she hosts two podcasts, Slice of Film and Star Wars Alliance. Ladies and gentlemen, it is such an honor to welcome Katie Rentschler to Film Fragments. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the show. Hello. I'm super happy to be here. I love Christopher Nolan, so super excited about this. I'm super excited to have you on. I cannot wait to gush with you about Christopher Nolan. And before we get into talking about Christopher Nolan, I would just love to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself, talk about what you do, and why you love film so much. Great. So I um, have been kind of working in podcasting, film journalism, um, since I was a sophomore in college. Um, So that was 2016. Um, I've worked for a number of different sites, but mainly I focus on reviews and editorials. Um, I started hosting podcasts uh, for the first time in 2020, um, starting off with Slice of Film and Star Wars Alliance. Uh, Starting a film podcast was a lot of fun in the middle of the pandemic. Um, Let's just say that. (laughs) Um, But uh, I've had a lot of fun with it. I get to tell a lot of cool stories. I get to have a lot of cool guests on um, to really just get get them to gush about a film of their choice but my main passion is star wars i am a huge star wars nerd um i i love getting to talk about it weekly um you can't see the camera but um all of my bookshelves are basically covered in star wars books (laughs) and it's just a huge passion of mine it's a world to escape in um and uh in terms of why i love film it like i just said with star wars it's a great way to escape um, for an hour 30 to three hours, depending on how things go. Um, and it's just a, a really cool way to see an artist's perspective on a specific story. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with you there. And, you know, going into our topic today of Christopher Nolan, I always like to throw these curveball questions at the start of my episodes. So you have the opportunity to take a Christopher Nolan character out to dinner where it's with your family, friends, or just yourself. Which characters would it be and why? You get to pick one guy and one girl. Oh, well, I think it'd be cheating to say Batman because we all would love to get into Batman's head. Um Christian Bale is my Batman of choice. By the way, let's just get that out of the way right now. <laughs> Point blank. Matter of fact. Um, so, okay. So I think for the um, girl, let's see. I know um, it's, um, oh my gosh, I'm having to look up characters' names. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> Ariadne is really the only girl character I can think of off the top of my head. Of course, Elliot Page um, played her. Uh, at the time, but like just getting to experience the Inception world is super cool to me. Um, we're going to get into that. I promise I'm not going to spoil the conversation, but um, being able, she's the new character that steps into that movie and is kind of like the audience's point of view. And so getting to experience all that and get all that knowledge in, just be really cool to pick her brain. Um, Those are great male- picks. Male character, I, I gotta pick. I really want to pick Batman, but I'm not gonna pick Batman. 
Um, There's nothing wrong with picking Batman. There's nothing wrong with picking <laughs> Batman. Um, you know, I want to be a second pick, but I think I would have to go with uh Memento for um what's his name, uh Leonard Shelby. Uh, I think just being able to pick that um pick the short term memory loss brain and like see how he processes everything and seeing like all the photos the writing the tattoos and just kind of seeing how things go it could be a really cool thing to do i i love both of those picks i would definitely go out to dinner with either of those characters for sure uh for me i'm gonna choose my girl character first i you know I love a lot of the female characters that Christopher Nolan writes, and mm-hmm. it's really hard to pinpoint my absolute favorite that he's given us so far in his career. But because of my unabashed amount of love for this actor, I feel like it's an obligation to pick a character that is played by Jessica Chastain, so I'm going to go with Murph from Interstellar. Um, I would just love to hear her insights on science and talking about how her father essentially went to space and did all these things to find new life for everybody. I would love to just have dinner with Jessica Chastain, period. As someone who's met Jessica Chastain in person many times, any other time that I get the chance of sitting down with her, I'm not going to pass on that at all. Now, in terms of my guy character, this was really tough to pick because... A lot of great characters in Nolan's films. I mean, yeah, Batman, you can't pass on Batman. Uh, Leonard is a great pick. But I think because this guy is daddy, I'm going to go with Neil from Tenet, played by Robert Pattinson. (laughs) I would not blame you there. Second second Batman is very good. (laughs) I, you know, I... Neil is just so sly and slick and cool. And just the fact that Robert Pattinson played him is so awesome, in my opinion. And Tenet may or may not be talked about again during this episode. It probably will be brought up again at some point. But, yeah, I someone said to me that they would choose the protagonist. And I'm like, well, the protagonist is kind of not the most compelling character, even though that's no shade to JDW. He's great in the role. I just think that Neil is one of the coolest characters that Christopher Nolan has ever written. And I mean, again, Robert Pattinson playing him, that's just such a cool, and what he did with his hair in that film, the, like the, the blonde in that hair. I mean, yeah. it looks great. It looks, I mean, Robert Pattinson has always looks great, but that yes. might be my favorite Robert Pattinson look on screen so far. <laughs> For sure. I've got my review pulled up cause it is on my list. Um, and I'm looking at the picture, and I'm like, oh, I really need to watch this movie sooner. I did not get to it in, in a rewatch for this, um, but I'm excited to talk about it and then go back and watch it. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk about the film. Uh, not going to spoil if it's on my list or whatnot, but I cannot wait to talk about it again. So jumping into the topic of Christopher Nolan, he's obviously one of the most exciting voices that we have today. He is a guy that is so meticulous with his craft. He is very much a guy that is a proponent of the theatrical experience. He loves having his movies shot on the biggest cameras 
with the loudest sound and the wildest effects and very practical filmmaking approaches. Why do you think a lot of people love Christopher Nolan so much? Why do you think people get excited when they see Christopher Nolan's name attached to a project? And what makes you such a fan of Christopher Nolan? So the reason I enjoy Christopher Nolan's films is because of the fact that I love walking through a puzzle. Um, I used to be really big into like Sudoku puzzles um, growing up and like, you know, those logic puzzles where you go across and you'd have like the clues and stuff. Getting that in a film um, is very rare. Like I know it's like becoming more of a thing nowadays, but like especially like early 2010, it was not a huge thing and like you'd either go for like drama or you'd go for action or you'd go for romance you would never really get like that pick your brain short of material that Christopher Nolan um proposes and I think that's why he's so exciting despite maybe some qualms with casting um but I like I just love getting my brain picked and so um films like Inception Memento was another good one that I just watched for the first time and that's like stuff that like makes you think and you're getting intrigued with like flashbacks and everything um so I think that's why he draws a lot of people um it'll be interesting to see though with his first rated r film in quite some time how things will go yeah I love Christopher Nolan it's so weird because when people ask me my top five filmmakers not just of all time, but also working today, I wouldn't even put him in that list. I think in terms of the filmmaking that he presents to us, it's some of the best that we have ever received for sure. And his stories could be hit or miss for me, but I just find him to be so fascinating. And like you said, when you watch a Christopher Nolan film, it's like solving a puzzle. You have no idea where it's going to go. You don't know how easy it's going to be or how difficult it's going to be to comprehend and put together. But that's the beautiful thing about Christopher Nolan is that he doesn't spoon feed us these answers. He doesn't say, oh, here's this and here's that. He leaves his audiences to think. And leaves them to interpret what it is that we had just spent the last hour and a half to two hours to now th almost three hours watching and witnessing on screen. And he's one of the most bold voices that we have in the business right now. I love that he's yeah, a guy I... that sticks to shooting on film. I respect that so much about filmmakers nowadays. I know that he's not the only one that's a proponent of still shooting on film stock. Quinn Tarantino is one of those filmmakers. Paul Thomas Anderson is another one of those filmmakers. Spielberg yeah. still shoots on film. Scorsese still shoots on film. There are filmmakers now that are still just, I want to shoot on film stock. I want to capture this. And that's how it's going to be. And I love that Christopher Nolan, he makes these big budget blockbusters. And most of these blockbusters are not shot on film. They're shot digitally. So I think it's really cool that he chooses to shoot on film stock and not step away from that. He's never going to transition to digital. As long as film stock is still around, he's going to stick to that format. And I do love as well how with all of his films, pretty much most of them, he doesn't have the same actor starring in them. He's obviously collaborated with some actors multiple times, but he's not like, uh, say, Martin Scorsese, where he just cast DiCaprio and De Niro to be the lead in every single movie that he does. Not that that's an issue, because they're both great actors in what they do, 
but it's yeah. nice whenever you have a filmmaker that gives the reins to someone different. I do wish though that he would have a female lead his film. I really hope that yeah. does that does happen soon. And part of me feels like that could happen soon. But for what we've been given so far, I'm impressed. I love Christopher Nolan and I'm so excited to delve into his filmography with you today. Yeah. I would definitely be excited to see him have a female lead um take the role um and i know like uh john uh david washington was his first like major person of color uh character in a film um so that was good progress but like it would be nice to see m more variety i guess absolutely wholeheartedly agree and now without further ado let's get into our top five films directed by Christopher Nolan. So, Katie, okay. what is your number five favorite Christopher Nolan film of all time? So, let me pull up my list again. Okay, so I go back and forth between Dark Knight Rises and Tenet on this. And so, I think I'm going to go with Tenet on this. Because it's just kind of a more up-to-date one. And don't get me wrong, I still... It was Dark Knight Rises um, and Tenet. But I, I love both movies. But I think the more I have thought about Tenet, like, years later, it just is such an intriguing film. It's that mind bender that I really love. Um, and it has, it, it's got great leads in uh, John David Washington again and uh, Robert Pattinson. And it just makes for such a fantastic film, not to mention the score. Uh, yes. Ludwig Göransson, who's a Star Wars uh, composer, uh, fantastic job like one of the best parts of the film and it, as we all well know and love a score can make or break a film and like in this case Gorenson's score actually makes this film what it is um now when I saw it in theaters I did have um some sound issues in the theater but ultimately like it wasn't a huge deal at the end of the day um I think the film struggles a little bit with character development. Like I would like to know more about the protagonist and obviously Robert Pattinson's Neil, um, just to get to know them a little bit better, uh, would have made a world of difference. I think in boosting the film up a little bit, because the films that I relate to the most from Christopher Nolan are the ones where I can bond with the characters a little bit more. And so while this one's a mind bender that I love, I want to relate to them more so that that that's my general thoughts on tenet so tenet did not make my list it's right outside the top five for me uh this is a very interesting film for me because i told you this pre-recording that this was obviously the first film that i saw when theaters reopened and i feel like this was the film that a lot of people went to go see as soon as theaters reopened now i know a lot of people have a problem with the fact that this did come out at the time of COVID still being pretty bad and yeah. it was kind of unsafe to go outside and everything but i'm not gonna focus too much on that i'm gonna push that aside we're just gonna focus on the film itself I do think the film is really, really masterfully helmed. I think it's directed so e exceptionally, and I think the visual effects are really out of this world. Yep. And the thing that I brought to is that Christopher Nolan is so meticulous with how he presents things. You could see the little intricate details that are sprinkled throughout this movie particularly. Now, towards the end, in the third act of this movie, where 
the big climactic event happens. And they're going back in time, but also going forward in time. As yeah. one person may be going forward in time, in the background, you can see people going backwards. And I just think that detail is so provocative and so brilliantly executed mm -hmm. that only someone like Christopher Nolan could successfully pull that off. I do agree with the character development. That was definitely the weakest aspect of the film for me. And that's definitely one of Christopher Nolan's not so great elements to his films is that even though he does present some really fascinating stories and a few interesting characters, I definitely would like a little bit more development towards those characters because like you had brought up, the Christopher Nolan films that I definitely appreciate more are the ones where we could connect with the characters on an emotional level. And I'm not saying that every single movie has to have these characters that you resonate with, but the protagonist in particular, you really wanted more depth with that character. And John David did a great job playing that character. He's so... John David, I think, is one of the best Nepo babies working today. Um, <laughs> he he truly is. And it's just so crazy that whenever I do see him on screen, I could close my eyes and I could think that I'm listening to his father talk. And if Denzel ever gets the opportunity to work with Nolan, that would be great. I remember watching an interview when Tragic Macbeth came out. And I don't know what interviewer brought this up but he brought up how cool it was that his son got to work with Christopher Nolan and then Denzel was so enthusiastic about that experience for his son that he had emphasized that he would love to work with Nolan himself but in terms of the technical levels of 10 I mean you brought up the score the score is incredible it's one of the best scores in any Nolan film but to be honest all the scores of Christopher Nolan films are great it's really hard to pinpoint a bad score from any of his films and Ludwig is one of the coolest composers working today. I mean, what he did with everything with Ryan Coogler is just next level. And then, of course, what he's done with Star Wars. And now he's working with Christopher Nolan, which at first when they announced that he was coming in to compose, replacing Hans Zimmer, I was a little bummed low-key. I'm like, okay, you can't yeah. end your relationship with Hans. You can't <laughs> do that. Grandpa Hans is one of the best that we have working today. But yeah. Ludwig, if you're going to replace Hans with anyone, replace him with Ludwig because Ludwig is one of the best working today. And, I mean, he's an Oscar winner after all. The score for Black Panther, say what you want about the movie, the score for that film is really exceptional. It's really fantastic. And I'm so excited to see how um, Oppenheimer pans out because it's pretty much the exact same team from this film going on to that yeah. film. And that's the other thing that I love so much about Nolan is that he sticks with the same DPs, editors, composers, visual effects team. Like, he practically loves to have the same crew from one film added on to the next, which I love. And also, Hoyt's imagery in this is pretty, pretty great. It's not my favorite thing that Hoyt has shot for Nolan, but it's great. It looks great. And yeah, I really enjoy Tenet. I saw it twice in theaters. I have not seen it since its theatrical run. And I really do think it would be very beneficial if Warner Brothers were to put this out again. Because I know there are so many people that didn't get the chance to see this in theaters. And they have said, I probably would have enjoyed this more if I watched it on the big screen like Christopher Nolan intended. Yeah, maybe so. But... 
hey, listen, if you have a great TV with great sound and great picture, you don't need to go to the theater to watch Tenet. Tenet is still a great-looking film, even at, at home, and I thoroughly enjoy it. And going into my number five, I'm going to go with Dunkirk from 2017. I'm a huge fan of war films. When Christopher Nolan announced that he was doing a war film, I was genuinely very excited. Although I was not too familiar with the Dunkirk evacuations, that was something I knew very little about. So when it was announced that he was bringing this story to life and how this wasn't an original story, this was essentially, you know, true events, but then he would incorporate characters that he specifically wrote for this movie. And you want to talk about character development not being great. This is definitely the example of that. But the reason why this is still on my top five is because I genuinely think that this movie is one of the best war films that we have ever been given. The filmmaking in this is truly cathartic. And I don't know how this didn't get an R rating. I was genuinely surprised when they announced that this was going to be PG-13. And even though it was pretty tame compared to some of the other war films that we've gotten that have embraced the hard R rating, this was still pretty graphic for a PG-13 film. And a lot of Nolan's yeah. films are. Like, they're not heavy PG-13 films, but this was, like, borderline PG-13 and R. Like, it was, it was itching towards that rating. But... The sound in this is impeccable. The score by Hans is exceptional in this. Hoyt's imagery is wonderful. And the cast in this film is just so fascinating to me. I think the three young men, one of them including Harry Styles, shockingly, when it was announced that Christopher Nolan was casting Harry Styles in a film, I think everyone was like, dude, are you on crack? What are you doing? But he was honestly not that bad in this movie. He was is it weird to say he was much better in this than he was in Don't Worry Darling, where he had the more prominent role? <laughs> oh, no, that's not sad at all, um, because it's true. <laughs> it, it's um, it's very true, and, you know, the supporting cast, too, is great. I mean, you had Mark Rylance, you had Tom Hardy, you had Kenneth Branagh, and you had Killian Murphy, a person that will be brought up quite a lot throughout this episode for sure. Yeah, I definitely appreciate how this wasn't your conventional war film either because, of course, something that's very prevalent with Christopher Nolan's films is the theme of time. And he goes back and forth a lot in this movie. Like, it's not told in a linear fashion. You may see some scenes repeated over and over again, and I know that pissed people off. They're like, oh, my God, why do we need to see the same scene five times from five different angles? I don't understand it works, in my opinion. I think it's blended so well. I think the editing here is truly exceptional. The visuals are great. The sound work is really next level. And, you know, the writing may not be the best, but this isn't a film where you go into it for the writing. You go into it for the filmmaking and the craft that Nolan puts on display. And I think this is some of the best filmmaking that he has utilized so far in his career. And I'm really happy that this did so well award season. It got so many nominations. It got Best Picture nomination. This was Christopher Nolan's very first director nom. And a lot of people have been clamoring for years for him to snag a Best Director nom. So I think it's really cool that he finally was able to accomplish that with this film. And it's crazy too because this film came out in the summer. And you wouldn't think a film that comes out that early in the year would even get all this Oscar traction. But Warner Bros. put their heart and souls into campaigning the crap out of this movie. Christopher Nolan went around and campaigned the crap out of this movie. 
And I also love that particular best director lineup because every single film nominated for director that year was so drastically different. So you had Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk. You had Jordan Peele for Get Out. Greta Gerg for Lady Bird. Paul Thomas Anderson for Phantom Thread. And the and, uh, wow, wow, I can't talk. And the winner of the award, <laughs> Guillermo del Toro for Shape of Water. These are five very different films. Yeah. They're all different films. And now with the Oscar for Best Director, it's like you get four dramas and one blockbuster film. It's like they're all the same. So it's nice that there was some range in there, some diversity in there, some variety in there. And yeah, I I loved Dunkirk. I love it. I saw it multiple times in theaters. Uh, I saw it on a 70mm print, which was so pristine and so crisp and so lovely to look at. And then I saw it in IMAX, and I mean, it was arguably maybe the loudest movie that I've ever seen in IMAX, probably until Tenet, and then that will probably be taken by Oppenheimer. So Christopher <laughs> Nolan just loves to make my IMAX movies loud as fuck. So Dunkirk is my number five. Are you going to pass, or is this not on your list? So this is... You're actually going to hate me for this. This is actually number 11 on my list for his films. It's last. I'm just not a war movie person. Um... I've never been a war movie person, despite, like, I, I actually, like, uh, it, it words, oh my gosh, like, All Quiet on the Western Front, I did not like All Quiet on the Western Front, I fell asleep in the middle of it, um, so, <laughs> it, I won't disagree with you that it's really well done, and I liked the idea of going back and forth and repeating some of the scenes, I thought that was well done, it's just not gonna be my cup of tea like it's just not something that i'm into i totally get that and you know what felt refreshing about this too because all of his movies are like two and a half hours to 245 this was only an hour mm. and 45 minute long movie and i yes. think this is still the shortest movie that he's done other than his feature debut of course yeah Oh, man. Because, yeah, the following was 70 minutes. Yes. Man, the all-quiet slander today. I'm just, oh, my God. It's not a good way to start the week. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> no, I'm I, I get, I, I I'm get sorry. it. I'm sorry. No, I get it. It's totally fine. It's okay. I totally understand that. But hopefully things will be <laughs> redeemed when you tell us what your number four pick is. So my number four is Interstellar. Um, and it's been a while since I've seen this one, but just going based off of memory, I love this movie. I love Matthew McConaughey. He's always amazing on screen. I think pairing him uh, with Anne Hathaway um, was an interesting choice, but it really worked out for the benefit of the film, just kind of giving those different perspectives and different acting styles um, into the film to make it really work. Um, it's a beautiful film. Um, I love the space aspect. I love kind of going into the future and going, okay, we're having a famine crisis. Like we need to find a new planet kind of thing. I, I, that was an interesting plot to like go forward with. Um, and it really worked throughout. I loved, um, the, time dilation aspect again you talked about it uh nolan really likes to play with time and so like going down to one planet and going okay we were only there for x amount of time and coming back and finding it was 
a hundred times more longer than you thought that you were down on the planet. So it's a really intriguing film. I'm excited to watch this for the first time with my husband. Um, that He has not seen it yet. And he's like, oh, you know, like I really wanted to watch this, but I found out we were doing a Christopher Nolan watch. And I was like, okay, well then we'll wait. I will watch it kind of in line. Uh, but it's it's really interesting. I, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. So this is another one that is not on my list, unfortunately. Uh, Interstellar, you know, when I saw Interstellar back in 2014, I really liked it. I didn't love it as much as I wanted to, but I think this is a film that's very hard to... I'm trying to think of how to word it. It's a hard film to really articulate your thoughts on the first feeling because it's a lot to take in and it's very bold mm -hmm. and ambitious and grand. And it has so many things that are happening in the fact that this movie is clocking in at almost three hours long, but my God, um, the imagery here is so fucking incredible. I think that this is Nolan's best looking film to date. I, the imagery here is truly next level, and I will never understand. Did he get nominated? Did Hoyt get nominated for this? Um, let me. I have to fact check this live on air um, right now. I can look. I got Hoyt Van Hovenema. He he did not get nominated for this, which is so disgusting. His only Oscar nomination yeah, got best is, original is score. Oh, the score for this, that this is my favorite Hans score from a Nolan movie. The The score here is, I, I mean, it's tough to pick a favorite Hans Zimmer, Christopher Nolan collaboration, but even though this isn't even in my top five Nolan films, this the filmmaking here is, again, not to sound repetitive, the filmmaking here is truly next level. Now, in terms of the performances, yeah. though, my personal favorite performance in a Christopher Nolan film might be Matthew McConaughey in Interstellar. This was at the point in Matthew McConaughey's career where he was in his reconnaissance. He was doing a lot of great work, film after film. And then in the midst of that, he also had the first season of True Detective, which in my opinion is one of the best things of TV that I have ever seen. And to have that and this in the same year as well as Wolf of Wall Street, Dallas Buyers Club, Mud, Magic Mike, Killer Joe, all these movies come out within the particular period. It was incredible to see this amount of success from McConaughey because a long for a long time, a lot of people thought of McCon McConaughey as just a rom-com guy. He was in this strain of rom-coms, and then yep. all of a sudden he decided, well, I got to change my act. All right, all right, all right. And then he <laughs> decided to choose all these different films under these incredible filmmakers. Everyone talks about that sequence where he's on the ship watching his children grow up in front of his eyes. And a lot of people mm -hmm. like, can people stop sharing that scene? And I'll tell you why people don't stop sharing that scene. Because that scene is one of the best directed scenes of Nolan's entire career. That's a fantastic scene. It adds some emotional heft to the story. You don't really get these incredibly emotional moments in Christopher Nolan's films. He's not known for doing that a lot. But every once in a while, he incorporates them into his films. But that scene really is a gut punch. Even just watching the scene out of context, it just finds a way of getting you. 
And one of the reasons why is because of McConaughey's performance. The guy doesn't even say anything. He just watches the screen and then just starts crying. And you're just so blown away by the acting that is on display from him. And I agree. The parent of him and yeah. Anne Hathaway was interesting, too. It was definitely not the parent that I would have thought of. But I think they worked off each other really, really well. And I thought it was cool that Anne Hathaway got the opportunity to work with Christopher Nolan again. After, in my opinion, being a fucking great Catwoman. And that's another discussion yes. that will probably Thank be brought up later on. But, yeah, the acting here, the visual effects, the, the amount of practicality used in Christopher Nolan's films is indescribable. Like, just how much in awe I am of that. But... And also how he shoots on location. The ice planet shooting in, was it Iceland? Where did they shoot that? That The fact that they shot that on location and not on a soundstage is just so amazing to me. Like the detail that he puts in, the craft, the meticulous persistence that he puts into every single frame of his films. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he does it. And it makes me wonder how he has not won an Oscar yet. This film is very, very good. It's a family drama in its core, and I really respect that. And without spoiling it, because I'm sure there are people out there who haven't seen this movie, but if you're listening to a Christopher Nolan podcast and somehow haven't seen Interstellar, I mean, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> come on. The cameo that is halfway through the movie brought to you by one of the biggest actors ever. When I saw the movie and that actor came on screen... I literally got whiplash. I kind of squealed. The entire theater was just shook by that particular actor. I was under the impression that it was just going to be like a five-minute cameo. That character was a significant part of the movie. And the shift that that character went through, oh my god. And then it was funny how literally the following year, that actor was also in a film where they were stranded on the planet. So it all ties back. I thought it was very coincidental how he did this film and then he did another film. Uh, people listening who haven't seen Interstellar probably know who I'm talking about now because of what I just said, but I really like I think I know who you're talking about now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I do really like Interstellar. I am way overdue for a rewatch. I've wanted to sit down to watch this movie for so long again, but I just haven't found the patience to do so. And also, I know that I have to be in the right state of mind to watch this again because... Yep. It really is an emotional roller coaster. It's a truly devastating watch. And when all everything ties together, like the ending, you know, after this movie came out, I never looked at bookshelves the same way again for a certain period of time. I would go to a bookshelf and I'd be like, <laughs> I can is, believe it. I'm like, is Matthew McConaughey in there right now? Like, is he <laughs> is he watching me right now as I'm getting into bed? <laughs> um and then the ending of this film is Honestly, it's my favorite ending of any Christopher Nolan film. It's it, I, the last ten minutes of this movie. Who knew that a single like two minutes of Ellen Bernstein would break my heart? Like seriously, that my my <laughs> I my know God. it was so sad. I remember crying. Like my God, the just the power of Christopher Nolan. Yeah, this film is. Really, really great. And I feel like it's definitely grown in appreciation over the past decade. And I will never forget, and this is the last thing I'll say before we move on to our, uh, my number four, is that 
I will never forget when they dropped that first teaser a whole year out. I remember going to see the second Hobbit movie with my mother, and they played this trailer, and there was barely any footage from the movie. You saw all this footage from NASA and space launches and cornfields and farms and everything. And I remember saying to myself, that is how you do a teaser trailer. That is how you do an announcement trailer. And I just love how subtly yeah. it just ends. Interstellar, one year from now. I thought that was great. I You don't get a sense of what the story's about. You don't get... Yeah. You barely get any footage from the movie. The only piece of footage that I remember seeing in the trailer is McConaughey driving away. You know, that incredible shot of him driving away. And then his daughter yeah. and John Lithgow's character, who I believe was his father-in-law in the movie, they were holding hands and just looking up as the ship goes. And then that's it. Then the trailer cuts to black. And that, to me, is brilliant. Also, the fact that Timothy Chalamet was in this is a major flex. The fact that he's worked with Christopher Nolan <laughs> is really, really cool that he could add that to his resume. And the fact that he's worked with Denis Villeneuve and all these other great filmmakers, I love that so much. And the guy isn't even 30 yet. That's just so amazing. So, yeah, Interstellar. It's so weird how I talked about it for so it's long, amazing. even though it's not on my list. It's just crazy how much I talked about it. I really, <laughs> might, I really just might pop it on right after we get off this call. I really might do that. I, it's a big might right now. But my number four is the you gotta other do what you gotta do. Nolan. The uh, my number four is the other Christopher Nolan film that starts with the word "in" in the title, and that is Inception. So, <laughs> um, oh god, Inception is so fascinating. I mean, how do you really talk about this movie and say what hasn't been said already? What can you say about Inception that hasn't been said already? Um, what a great way to kick off the decade, the 2010s, with having this film, this very thought-provoking summer blockbuster, um, that people are still figuring out what the heck it means. First of all, the concept of this movie is so fucking dope. You have these guys that are going inside people's dreams to get answers and everything, that is a fucking sick premise. That is one of the coolest premises that I have ever seen on screen. You don't have to like Inception, but you have to agree that that premise is fucking fire. And it's yes. executed so brilliantly. Leonardo DiCaprio is great in this movie. He's genuinely great. And I love DiCaprio. I mean, how can you not love DiCaprio? He's one of the finest actors ever. But... I love the character of uh, Cobb. I think that Cobb Salad, I think that he is really, really interesting because he's obviously so focused on doing this job, these jobs, these missions of going into people's dreams and getting all these answers that are needed for what's to come. But then he's in the midst of grieving something that happened in his personal life. And when we cut back and forth between the present to the past, it's used so effectively. I don't like when movies are told out of order unless if there's an effective meaning to it, unless if it adds to the presentation of the story. And obviously we just talked about how Dunkirk is told out of order and you see certain scenes repeated again and told from different angles and everything. But with Inception... The fact that it goes back and forth every so often, it's it honestly makes it even more compelling than if it had been told in order. 
which is strange to say, but that's just how this film is able to successfully do what it needs to do. And again, DiCaprio, he's great. I think all the performances are great. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's great. Tom Hardy's great. Elliot Page is great. Marion Cotillard's great. Killian does a great job. Um, I, I Ken Watanabe, he's also fantastic in this. You never watch a Christopher Nolan film and say that a performance is bad. He always gets great performances out of his actors. Even the actors that you would not even expect to give great performances in his films because they themselves may not be the best actors. But when you're working with a director that knows how to get a great performance out of their actors, then you know they're going to deliver. And Christopher Nolan is no exception to that. But Inception, to me, is so fascinating. I really can't add too much to it because it's been quite a long time since I've sat down to watch Inception. But I remember when it came out. I remember everybody talking about it nonstop. It was crazy. It was another huge success awards-wise, even though Christopher Nolan somehow did not get a director nomination for this, which is really off-putting to me. Uh, would he have won? Probably not, but a nomination would have been very deserving. And 2010 was a pretty fantastic year for film. A lot of genuinely wonderful films came out that year, and I would say that the best picture lineup from that year was also really solid. Loading it up right now, Obviously, Inception did not win Best Picture, but the nominees were Black Swan, The Fighter, Inception, The Kids Are All Right, 127 Hours, The Social Network, Toy Story 3, True Great, Winter's Bone, and King's Speech won. King's Speech should not have won Best Picture. That should have been The Social Network. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. That's the reality. Nobody talks about The King's Speech anymore, even though it is actually a pretty good movie. The Social Network, everybody still talks about. Inception, everybody still talks about. Uh, Toy Story 3, everyone still talks about. Black Swan people still talk about. Who talks about the King's Speech anymore? Not really anyone. And that's that's not a diss to the movie, but, you know. And Christopher Nolan really should have been nominated for Best Director. It's really just sickening that you nominate the film, you nominate the screenplay, but you don't nominate the director. I'm sorry. I've never understood that logic. I just don't get it. But anyway, Inception is great. The ending is fantastic. I'm not going to add anything else to it. Hans Zimmer's score is beautiful. This did walk away with... How many Oscars did this win? This won four Oscars. Good for that. It took home the Oscars for... It won for sound editing, sound mixing. Wally Feister won cinematography. And, of course, this film won visual effects. Because, again, how could it have not won visual effects? Man, I... God, this film is really exceptional. And that ended, oh my God. I mean, what can you say about it that has been said already? Do we think he's still in a dream? Do we not think he's in a dream? I don't know. I, If someone were to ask me that right now, if you were to ask me that right now, I genuinely will tell you that I do not know. I don't know if he's still in the dream or if he's in reality. I don't know. And honestly, I don't want Christopher Nolan to ever tell us if he is or isn't in a dream. Because this is going to go down, and it already has, as one of the most fascinating endings to a movie ever. Not just of the past yep. 15 years, but of all time. This is going to be an ending that people talk about for many years to come. And I don't see that ever changing. But Inception, it's entertaining, it's exciting, it's thrilling, it's unpredictable. You're on the edge of your seat. The performances are great. Everyone looks very sexy as fuck in this movie. Uh, JGL, this might be the hottest that he's ever looked. Um, 
I just, everyone looks great. Literally, everyone looks fantastic, and I love it so much. So, I already know you're gonna pass on this movie, but I'll just ask anyway: <laughs> Are you gonna pass, or is this not on your list? Uh, pass. Alrighty, <laughs> pass it is. So now going into our number threes, what is your pick? So my number three is Memento. Um, I just recently watched this movie for the first time and I loved tracking it the entire way through. Uh, I was constantly, and this is why I prefer watching movies at home is I can go, wait, what just happened? And then like potentially like pause and rewind or like I can put captions on, no big deal. And it like helps everything go a lot smoother in my brain. Um, but Memento um with oh my gosh i can't remember the guy's name guy Again. pierce um guy pierce i love how you say um, i don't know the guy's name but his name is guy pierce <laughs> yeah no i think he does an incredible job in playing off the tattoos so much um like obviously i don't think he did like the tattoos in the movie but like pretending to do your own tattoos in the movie it's just like a commitment to the bit that like completely works out. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss as Natalie. Oh my gosh, I loved her. And I didn't even know she was in this. I didn't know she's worked with Christopher Nolan before. Mm -hmm. And seeing her, I was like, wait, who is this? And we had to pause the movie. And thank goodness, like Amazon has like the cast mm -hmm. on, so we didn't have to look anything up and get spoiled. Uh, but she does an incredible job. Um, uh, yeah, I, everybody does a, a, a great job. Um, Joe Pantoliano. Mm -hmm. um, Joe Pantoliano. Oh my gosh, I did not know which way he was going to go. He kept me guessing the entire time. Yeah. Um, in a very good way. Mm -hmm. Because, like, you say you saw the twist coming in this movie, right? Well, I knew, I knew the twist or before I saw the movie. Okay. Well, how the I film well the how twist. the film was presented. I didn't know the the twist regarding the characters, but I knew how the film was presented. Oh, uh, yeah, I did not like the twist that kept coming with like them taking advantage of the short-term memory loss. Mm -hmm. It was so fascinating to me and it showed like how evil people can be, but like this just made it super interesting. Um, I don't think this is like the best cinematography wise, but I just love the plot and I got super involved with the characters. So that's why this gets number three for me. I am going to pass on this one. It's a little higher on my list, so I will be talking about it very shortly. My number three pick is the film that I firmly believe is Christopher Nolan's most underrated film, even though it does have a very devoted following. Unfortunately, when you ask someone right at the top of their head what their favorite Christopher Nolan film is, they're not going to say this because they're going to probably say The Dark Knight, Inception. <laughs> but it's kind of criminal how the prestige has not gotten the traction that it quite frankly deserves. This is my number three if you had told me years ago that one of my favorite films that this guy's ever directed is a film where Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale battle it out as magicians, I would have said, that sounds dumb, but it also sounds kind of cool at the same time. Two daddies battling it out with magic? Sure, I'm, I'm totally down for that. Um, I love The Prestige. I just think that the premise behind it is really, really exciting and fresh. It's a battle of wits, and the fact that it was set 
in the 1890s in London. You have these two wannabe magicians who are so great at what they do, but then they try to rival over the perfect teleportation trick. A trick that really could go either way where it could be a massive win or a terrible loss to where people could possibly die, people could disappear for eternity. Things could go down, shit could go down, and shit absolutely does go down in this movie. But what Noah does very beautifully is that he presents us this battle for the wits, which is also a psychological thriller. No one has done thrillers prior to this. Memento was obviously a thriller. Insomnia is a thriller. But what's funny is that I found this to be way more thrilling than any of the other thrillers that he had presented prior. Because you just brought up how Memento was very unpredictable, and it absolutely was. But this went in directions that I 100% was not anticipating at all. I didn't think that it was going to get riskier and riskier, twist after twist. But somehow one twist ended up topping in the previous twist. And then that twist was topped by the twist that followed that. Like He found a way of topping himself each and every single minute of this movie. And I think the performances here are really spectacular. Christian Bale obviously having just worked with Nolan for the first time on Batman Begins. It was cool seeing him do something that wasn't Batman. And then Hugh Jackman. At this point in Hugh Jackman's career, he was at the height of playing Wolverine. And a lot of people had just pictured him playing Wolverine. So to have him battle it out with Batman, Batman versus Wolverine. I mean, that's just so cool. And they're both exceptional actors. Like, they're so good together and separately. And then the supporting cast around them includes Scarlett Johansson, who's also great in this. You have Andy Serkis in this. He's he's wonderful. Rebecca Hall in one of her earliest roles. She shines. Piper Parabo, who I'm not usually super high on. I can't tell you anything I've seen her in besides this that I've liked her in. But my favorite cast really in, in this film, Affairs, the TV yeah, show. I, I heard that's a very good show. My favorite cast in, in this film is a cast in that's not even that prolific in the movie. He has a very small amount of screen time in this movie, but I just think the cast is so inspired. Having David Bowie play Nikola Tesla is so that's so sick. And you know, when I watched this film for the first time, however long ago. And I was like, I don't know who that is. Like, who is that? And then when I saw that it was David Bowie, I got very excited. I I just think it's so cool that he got a chance to work with Christopher Nolan. And he, I I thought it was awesome. And, you know, similar to how Interstellar made me kind of afraid of bookshelves for a while. After I saw this movie, I told myself that I never want to go near a water tank. I never want to go near a water tank because of this movie. It's just like the stuff that happens with this water tank is. It's one of the most terrifying sequences in any Christopher Nolan film to date. And the ending. Oh, my God. The ending. I mean, every ending to a Christopher Nolan film is bonkers and wild and insane. But but the way that this film wraps up. And something happens to a certain character and you think that that character is and it goes in a completely different route that's impressive right there and i don't understand why this film doesn't get the attention that it deserves because 
again, you have these amazing actors in the film. You have this great director behind it, a very big and famous director, and for some reason it just does not get the attention that it deserves, which I will never understand because it really is one of Nolan's best films to date. It's it's just amazing, and it got an art direction nomination and cinematography nomination at the Oscars. I mean, the production design here is impeccable. It's amazing, but again, similar to everything that we've said today so far, the filmmaking in Christopher Nolan's films is always top-notch. Even if you don't like the stories of his films, the filmmaking is always next level. I love The Prestige. I don't understand why it doesn't get as much attention as it deserves. I know that it's very beloved in the film community. I know that a lot of people, including some of our mutuals, maybe have this as their favorite Christopher Nolan film, but I I really do admire The Prestige so much, and I truly, truly adore it. I have a feeling this, this is not on your list, so is it on your list or is it not on your list? <laughs> It is not on my list, and I'm gonna. So the biggest reason why it's not on my list is I don't feel like it was enough of a brain teaser <laughs> to really match what I'm expecting from Nolan. And as much as I love Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman, like I don't like the rivalry. Just seemed so out. Like I get like the what happened, but also like it seemed like it just went way too far. <laughs> So, that's, for me, where this ends up. I do think it's a really well-done film. Um, like, everything looks picture-perfect cinematography-wise. The costumes are all really great. Um, and I love Christian Bale in the role. I think he does a great job with it. For me, I think it's just the, that rivalry. And then um, the, like, twists were predictable. Yeah, I... I totally get that. I totally get that. Um, but I can't agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I totally get where you're coming from, though. I totally get that. Um, you're, you're definitely not the only person that I've heard make that um, critique towards the prestige. But anyway, with that being said. He likes the concept of magic. Yes. It, it was interesting to see Nolan take that on. It absolutely was. It's cool that he got to do something like this. So now going into our top two, I have a feeling that we have the same number two. I feel like it would be a shock if we didn't. And I would, I, I feel like the biggest shock of this podcast so far would be if you don't even have this film in your top two, considering that it's regarded as one of the best films maybe ever. Um, I already have a feeling of what your number one is, but I'm so curious if this film is your number two. So what is your second favorite Christopher Nolan film of all time? So it is The Dark Knight. Is that the one you were expecting? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I really love The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. Um, for me... The Dark Knight just gets a leg up specifically for Heath Ledger's Joker. Mm -hmm. uh, Heath Ledger's Joker is just... You you can't say anything other than the fact that it's fucking legendary. Like, and may he rest in peace because he was, like, amazing. And I hate that this role took over um, his life to that extent. But, like, it, the, the film is just beautiful. 
And, I mean, you can't get a better casting. Obviously, I think, okay, you've got Robert Pattinson now, which I think was a pretty good casting, even though a lot of people disagree. But Christian Bale as Batman, I don't think anyone would have pictured that before this. If you'd gone like, oh, Christian Bale is Batman. I don't think Christian Bale is a very much meticulous, um, when I picture him, it's very much like an A24 type feeling um, for him. And so getting him into that big budget role <laughs> for Batman, I think was so smart for Christopher Nolan. Obviously, Michael Caine is Alfred. Like, <laughs> amazing. Um, Heath Ledger, where I talked about him. Gary Oldman. Oh my gosh. I love Gary Oldman in this. He's amazing. Um, picture perfect. Uh, him as uh, Gordon. I, I could not, like, I get, um, what's his name? Oh my gosh. The Spider-Man news guy. J. Jonah Jameson. Um, J.K. Simmons. Yeah, J.K. Simmons. I cannot picture J.K. Simmons as Gordon. Ever. Like, that was never going to happen in a million years. And I'm so glad he didn't really get that much to play in the Snyderverse. Because Gary Oldman is Gordon. 100%. Makes it work completely. Um, and, like, I think Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox is another inspired casting right there. Like, the whole cast is just perfect. And I know she's not in this one, but you already said it earlier. Anne Hathaway as Catwoman. Another picture-perfect casting. She was great. I don't care what you want to say about her. She was phenomenal. Um, the film is shot incredibly well. Um, oh, also, Aaron Eckhart. As I was Harvey about to Dent say, you, you cannot forget Scary about Aaron dude. Eckhart. You, you, like, he is... I'm sorry. I just... He, he's so good, and he gave me nightmares oh, for months same, after seeing this movie. Same. <laughs> it, it's so, so scary. Um, but, like, the way the film is shot, it, cinematography is perfect. I think, like, all the set pieces look really great, make me feel like I'm in Gotham. Um, this is the Batman movie to beat, and I loved the Batman. Mm -hmm. um, Matt Reeves' Batman. Yes. Like both incredible films but like there is nothing that's going to beat this one like people say michael keaton is my batman george clooney is my batman i don't know if people say that christian <laughs> bale is my batman thank you very much yeah so this is obviously my number two as well um you know this is another film that really what else can you say that hasn't been said about the dark knight the dark knight is obviously regarded by so many people as maybe the greatest comic book movie that we'll ever receive. It's not my favorite comic book movie of all time, but it is up there in the top five, top three, definitely, for sure. The filmmaking here is really, like you said, to use a word you use, it's picture perfect, and um, it's shot beautifully, it's edited beautifully, uh, the visuals are incredible, the sound work is impeccable, the score by Hans Zimmer is fantastic. Um... How this did not get nominated for Best Picture is the reason why a lot of people believe that the Academy chose to expand the Best Picture lineup from five films to ten. A lot of people genuinely believe that that is the reason why they did it. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me one bit because when you look back at the films that came out in 2008, I hate to say it, but... No film in 2008 was talked about more than The Dark Knight. And I'm not just saying that because it was the big box office juggernaut of that year where it made the most money. 
but critically, it did exceptionally well. I mean, a superhero film really since has not gotten that level of acclaim. There has not been a superhero film that has come out since The Dark Knight that has gotten that level of critical acclaim. Yes, I know that we've gotten some superhero films, some comic book films that have garnered a lot of Oscar nominations. Obviously, Black Panther got nominated for Best Picture, which I'm sorry, I hate to say, that should not have been the first comic book movie to be nominated for Best Picture. I do like Black Panther, but that should not have been the first. Joker obviously did very, very well at the Oscars, regardless of how you feel about that film. I think it's really interesting that the fact that a film like that got so much love at the Academy Awards considering it was based on a comic book character and the most famous comic book villain of all time. And yeah, I mean, to get it out of the way, Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker is one of the greatest performances ever put to screen. There are so many incredible villain turns on screen, but it's so understandable why a lot of people do put Heath Ledger at the top because, I mean, he really... Unfortunately, he really gave it his all to bring the Joker to life. And what I love so much is that this Joker was different from the Jokers that we had gotten previously. Obviously, the biggest one that we had gotten prior to this was Jack Nicholson and Tim Burton's Batman. And he's incredible in the role. He really, like, understood the assignment and he chewed up the scenery. And what Tim Burton instructed him to do, I mean, he respected him and was able to bring that but what Heath Ledger brought to this performance was so devastating and so terrifying like he was utterly horrifying to watch but that's what you get with the Joker and he found the way of also being incredibly funny and at that point in his career you know I remember now granted I was 10 when this movie came out so I wasn't following movie news but I remember in the years since I would read upon how people were criticizing Heath Ledger being cast as the Joker mm-hmm. that guy from 10 things I hate about you and Brokeback Mountain he can't play the Joker and now it's regarded as one of the greatest performances ever put to screen and it won him a fucking Oscar it won him an Oscar mm-hmm. The fact that a comic book villain won a fucking Academy Award, the highest prize in Hollywood, that is saying so much. Now, there are people that have asked me, do you think he still would have won the Oscar if he were still alive? And I'll be honest, I 100% think he still would have won if he were still alive. Do I think that that would have happened? I don't know. I really have no idea how it would have went down if he hadn't left us but it's just one of the most transformative performances that i've ever seen to the point where it doesn't feel like a caricature i felt like i was watching this psycho come to life and the sequences where we get joker pre-joker those are really heartbreaking to watch like first of all just seeing heath ledger without the makeup is considering that obviously this movie came out after we lost him like it was already sad just seeing him on the screen like the moment that you see joker's face for the first time but when you see heath ledger's face it's really devastating to watch Mm -hmm. and i'll be honest i've seen this movie so many times but every time i watch it i find it to be incredibly difficult because of knowing that heath ledger is no longer with us and like you brought up katie of how he really went all out with this performance to the point where, you know, it kind of essentially took his life. And um, 
it's really hard to add on to what's been said about this performance throughout the last 15 years. I mean, this is a performance that nobody has shut up about for the last 15 years. I mean, the fact that we've spent so many minutes just talking about this performance says a lot, but it really is one of the greatest performances ever put on screen. But going into the movie itself, um, everything that we had liked about Batman Begins expands upon the crime procedural thriller i know a lot of people will say that this is kind of in vain to maybe like a scorsese film but added batman into it i 100 percent agree it definitely feels like a crime drama and i really love that aspect i love the interrogation scene between joker and batman that's hands down my favorite sequence in the entire film and when i was a kid yes. when i saw this movie i was just so in awe by what was being presented to us and even now as an adult, I just still find that to be so captivating and riveting. And I remember when I saw this when I was a kid, I saw it with my parents. And I was just like, how how do they make movies like this? Like, I really genuinely think that this movie motivated me to really pay attention to how films were made. And just a couple years later, that's when I really started taking this passion seriously to where not only would I watch the films that I was looking forward to, I would watch some of these smaller independent films just to get a sense of like how it goes into making a film. But The Dark Knight, I mean, yeah, the performances, you said all of them pretty much. Although I do want to shout out Maggie Hall. She's great as Rachel. I like that they put her in that character because... No disrespect to Katie Holmes. I don't think she was that great in the role. And this is nothing against Katie Holmes as a person, but I just don't think she was the right fit. I really think that they just cast her because she was coming off of Darson's Creek. She, they wanted probably this heartthrob to be in the movie. And yes, Katie Holmes is absolutely gorgeous to look at, but her acting skills are not exactly the best. Maggie Gyllenhaal, on the other hand, is an exceptionally talented actress, and she's also proven herself to be a great director as well. The Lost Daughter, fucking fantastic film. But I love what they did with Rachel here. Introducing Harvey Dent, Aaron Eckhart slayed in the role. He he really knocked it out of the park. And I agree, Two-Face, seeing that as a kid, that gave me nightmares. And the makeup work and the visual effects work done on that is really next level. It's so brilliant. And oh Michael Caine as Alfred, so Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox, Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gordon. Gary Oldman as Gordon is one of my favorite performances of that guy's career. And I also love how at that point in his career, he was doing all these franchise films. So he was not only Commissioner Gordon, but he was also serious fucking black. And I love that he yes. went from being serious black to Commissioner Gordon, bad to being serious black, bad to being Commissioner Gordon. And yeah, you know, I agree with you on the whole J.K. Simmons thing. I, I love J.K. Simmons. He's great. He's fantastic. But I guess if you're going to cast anyone to play uh gordon and the snyder verse i guess jk simmons is a good casting but w you just think of gary oldman the entire time like gary oldman to me is the best commissioner gordon ever put the screen and you know christian bale he's not my favorite I, he's not my favorite batman but i don't think he deserves the hate that he gets. We all love him as Bruce Wayne. I've never heard anyone flack about him as Bruce Wayne, but everyone just flacks him as Batman. Yes, I get it. The voice is a little too much. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Like, I get, I get it. I get it. It's not exactly the best, but he's still great in it. And 
I, re- I I will never forget when I saw this movie when it came out. And that ended, oh my god, the, the theater just roared with applause. It's one of the best endings I've ever seen to a film. And, you know, God, um, right when COVID started, all these videos were coming out of audience reactions to movies to kind of give us the sense of how much we miss going to the movies. There was all these reactions from Avengers Endgame that came out, but there was this one video that someone posted of The Dark Knight. Someone reacting to the... Uh, not someone, but just all these people reacting to The Dark Knight and then opening night when it came out. I don't know if it was in LA, Chicago, New York. I don't know where it was. But people just roaring with applause when Commissioner Gordon gives that monologue and then Batman just rides off into the night and then the film just ends. Like, imagine watching that mm-hmm. in theaters for the first time and just being like... What the fuck are they going to do now? Like, where are they going to go from here? What, what's going to happen now? And honestly, if they had never made another Batman movie after that, I would have been totally fine with that. Although, The Dark Knight Rises, I feel, is a great movie. And I think it wraps up The Dark Knight yes. trilogy very, very well. I don't think it's as good as The Dark Knight, obviously. But I think it's a great follow-up to The Dark Knight. And, yeah, again, what could you say about The Dark Knight that has been said already? It really is one of the greatest superhero films, comic book films ever put to screen. This goes back and forth with Logan as my favorite comic book film of all time. I just think that Logan, what James Mangold was able to do with that was so out of left field for the genre and how he really made that more of a character study than just your conventional comic book superhero film. I mean, not only with it being an R-rated film, but also it focusing so much on that character and his struggles and how broken and hopeless he was. And The Dark Knight, even though it's very focused on his scope, it's also very focused on its characters and its story. And you find yourself being compelled by what is being shown on screen. You don't find yourself just being wowed by the spectacle that Christopher Nolan is presenting. You're also finding yourself fascinated with the characters that he has written and presented to us. And that's the reason why The Dark Knight has been talked about for 15 years. Aside from Heath Ledger's performance, there's a reason why people celebrate The Dark Knight and call it maybe the best comic book superhero film that we've ever gotten. So yeah, The Dark Knight is our number twos. I knew that it was going to be your number two, and I would have been shocked if it wasn't even in your top two because everyone I've talked to has had The Dark Knight in their top two. A lot of people have it as their number one. A lot of people do have it as their favorite Christopher Nolan film of all time, which I totally understand. I Listen, if anyone says The Dark Knight is their favorite Christopher Nolan film, I'm not going to judge you at all because it is a truly exceptional film. But obviously... Our number ones are not The Dark Knight. Our number ones have stuck with us for different reasons. So, now transition to why our number one films are our number one from Christopher Nolan. Why, Katie, is Inception your favorite Christopher Nolan film of all time? But it's also not just your favorite Christopher Nolan film of all time. Am I right? Right. It is um, in my top four films. This film just really holds a special place in my heart, not just because of Christopher Nolan, um, but because it really, like, awakened a love for, like, on-screen entertainment. Because it's not just, like, TV, or it's not just movies, but it's also TV um, and stuff. Like, I was not a TV movie person until I saw this movie. Um, I saw it in theaters. Um, We were at, like, a softball tournament, and there was a rain delay, so they were like, well, let's just go to a movie 
like kind of chill out um before and hopefully games can like start back and everything and I just remember walking out of the theater being like awestruck at what I had just seen like literally seeing a logic puzzle come to life basically for me uh it was really incredible um obviously the uh Brian has kind of already talked about it the cinematography and the editing are just superb really looks great but this is um one of Nolan's best films um because of the character development that's associated uh to each and every character obviously you've got um Cobb um and we learn a lot about him from the very beginning but we continue to learn about him throughout the rest of the way Ariadne is given great character motivation and kind of a good introduction um by Michael Caine's uh professor role um and then this is one of my favorite films with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and it, um, as well as Tom Hardy. Like, they both play really funny roles, but, like, also, like, work really well within the setting. Um, they both take things very seriously, but have, like, real fun moments, um, that kind of bring them some levity. Um, oh gosh, that's not good. Sorry, I just saw a cop fly by my window. Um... <laughs> squirrel sorry um the concept of inception is just so intriguing you talked about it already but like the dream stealing aspect i mean who thinks of these things like literally who thinks of being able to go into somebody's mind and go oh yeah we could take exactly what we want in their dream as long as we can architect it appropriately and everything and it's just like oh my gosh um the different levels for each dream also really interesting like being able to go deeper than you would have ever expected to um it's just it's so much fun it's so intriguing and this is one of those films um where like you just think about it every single time you watch it and like you said you don't know if like he's in the dream at the end or if he's not in the dream like it's really hard to tell um and it just, every time you look, you're going, okay, I'm looking for all of the clues that are going to tell me, like, is he in the dream or is he not in the dream? So that, you, you've, you've already said a lot of stuff that I agree with, so I don't want to, like, repeat things, but this film is always just going to hold a special place in my heart. Um, I told my husband um, before we started dating, because um, he hadn't seen Star Wars and he hadn't seen this and he hadn't seen, like, the X-Men movies. And I was like, okay, you have two tests in here and I handed him a stack of DVDs and I said you need to get all of these watched. <laughs> and he fell in love with Star Wars and he fell in love with Inception so <laughs> uh he passed the test I will say <laughs> that's great that's great to hear glad he passed the test that's nuts that he hadn't seen Star Wars until he met <laughs> you he okay I I say he hadn't seen Star Wars he had seen bits and pieces mm -hmm. of like three or four of the movies but yeah. he had never seen like a full star wars movie um and so our first date was actually to the last jedi um, oh man what a and... what an interesting first date <laughs> <laughs> i know and my dad it was so funny my dad called me before the movie and was like trying to throw me off and like oh we have an emergency like you need to come home and miss like the star wars movie 
and my mom shut him up and the last thing he said to me and this is what he had said walking out of the force awakens because we went and saw the force awakens christmas day Mm -hmm. and he said ray is totally a palpatine and before i went and saw the last jedi he reminded me he's like oh katie just remember ray's a palpatine and so walking out of rise of skywalker i called my mom and was like okay you need to see rise of skywalker asap and she was like why and i was like you just need to go see it like i can't tell you why but you just need to go see it oh man and i think three months later they saw it and my dad was, called me immediately and was like raise a palpatine i told you yes you did yes you did <laughs> to, to anyone listen that hasn't seen star wars we don't even care that we spoiled it for you because it, it, i'm sorry like at this point i'm sorry like if you haven't seen star wars that's your problem i'm sorry um <laughs> and, and I don't want to even talk about the Rise of Skywalker. We're not doing that right now because this podcast is about Christopher Nolan, who has no affiliation with Star Wars. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, everything you said about Inception is so true. And, yeah, I mean, it really is a, a truly exceptional film. And my number one is Memento. Memento has been my favorite Christopher Nolan film since I saw it for the first time when I was in high school. I had a film class my junior year of high school where we would watch films and just talk about them. And I had never seen Memento for some reason. This was in early 2015 during my junior year of high school. And I had heard about it. I was aware of how the film was presented, but I didn't know anything else about it. I didn't know the story of it. I just knew that it was presented the way it was presented. And look, the film is over 20 years old. I'm sorry, but I have to talk about it. I'm not going to spoil the twists of the movie, but the film was presented backwards. And, you know, for a film to successfully do that is insane to me. There has not been a film that has found a way of nailing that choice of narrative since Memento. Now, Memento, to me, the reason why I think it's my favorite Christopher Nolan film is because it's early in his career. It's essentially the film that pretty much launched him into fame. Yes, he had made his debut following right before this, but that was a very, very, very small film. And not saying that this was some grand big box office juggernaut. This was obviously still another smaller film, but it somehow gained a lot of traction and it got a lot of people to pay attention to Christopher Nolan. Guy Pierce as Leonard is absolutely incredible. It's my favorite performance that Guy Pierce has ever given. I still think that he has not given the performance better than this. Maybe I just haven't seen everything with Guy Pierce, but I truly believe that this is the best acting that he has ever put on screen. Carrie Ann Moss is wonderful in this. And there are many people that I feel don't rock the short hair look. Carrie Ann Moss pulls that shit off so well. And she is so great in this. Yeah. And this was the film that she did immediately after The Matrix, which obviously was another game changer to film. And the fact that Joe Pantoliano was also in this, similar to how he was in The Matrix, um, I love that so much. And the character that he played in this is pretty much similar to The Matrix to where you're introduced to the character and you think the character's going to go down one direction. It goes the complete opposite direction. It's just so funny how these films came out back to back and then this happened and everything. 
But I really love the concept of how this guy is trying to solve a, a case. And he's trying to find out who killed his wife. And he has severe short-term memory loss. And because of this, he has this really fascinating system of remembering things. He takes Polaroid photographs. He has notes. And then he gets these tattoos on his body just so he can remember what had happened and how he could find the person that killed and raped his wife. And that's a really incredible concept done very beautifully. This film received, and I had no idea that this even received this nomination until very recently. This was nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. This is one of the coolest Oscar nominations for screenplay that I maybe have ever seen. I love how every once in a while we get this kind of film that may not seem like it's up the Academy's wheelhouse. And then they just find a way of sliding it in. It's similar to how when they nominated... I would say Bridesmaids a few years ago because they don't really nominate comedies, especially studio comedies. So the fact that they had all these oscar films in the category, then they decide to add this studio comedy and Bridesmaids in there, that's awesome to me. That's such an incredible nomination, regardless of, again, regardless of how you feel about the film, it's cool that they decide to nominate something like this. But the screenplay here is so intricate and Again, the details that Nolan has. He is so meticulous with how he presents his story. You see it now with all these high-profile, big-budget blockbusters that he helms. But then you could also see it in the very smaller character studies that he helmed early in his career. And I do love how this is more of a character study than it is a visual effects heavy. And this is obviously not something like an Inception or an Interstellar or Dunkirk or a Tenet or The Dark Knight or pretty much everything that he's done since this movie, you find yourself so compelled by the mystery because you have no idea where it's going to go. And if anyone called the twist in this movie, you're, you're lying. You are absolutely lying. <laughs> I would love to know how you probably watch this movie and you're like, I saw the twist right away. I know exactly where it goes. Get the fuck out of here. No, you did not. So because of that, this to me is my favorite film that he's done and I also and this may be a hot take I think it's the best film that he's done I don't think he's made a film better than this and I would love for him to go back to doing a smaller intimate character study but we know that old Chris is never going to do that again and hey look look Oppenheimer looks to be very different for him it's not the twisty turny film that tenant was it's definitely going to be a nice step away from what he's done lately and i do like that he is focusing on a real life person and a real life story but he's obviously probably going to add his own tw spins to it it's probably going to be told out of order it's going to be told non-linear we already know that some sequences are shot black and white we'll talk a little bit more about oppenheimer in a few minutes when we talk about our anticipation for it but memento to me it also has some of the coolest black and white imagery that I've seen on screen. And there are yeah. films that try to balance both black and white and color as if it's just for show, just to be cool and hip. But I think it makes it more effective with how it's presented here. I love Memento so much. I don't want to echo everything that you said, and I don't want to copy everything that you said, but you pretty much nailed it on the head when you were talking about why it's on your list. And... 
this film has I don't know. It's crazy that I have yet to find a Christopher Nolan film that tops this for me. I just really think that this is the best work that he's ever done. And it was so early in his career, too. And he's obviously done so much throughout the last 20-plus years since this movie came out. He's done incredible work. He's always consistent with the filmmaking that he does. He finds a way of topping himself film after film. But I personally feel that this is the best film that he's ever directed. I have loved Memento since the day that I saw it in that classroom almost 10 years ago. And somehow my love for it has never dwindled my love has increased viewing after viewing even though i wasn't able to rewatch it for this podcast i have celebrated this film i have championed this film there was a point where they announced that they were probably going to remake this and i literally wanted to jump off the brooklyn bridge when i heard that i i when i saw that headline i'm like are you on crack why the hell would you remake memento like, do you do you want everyone to get angry? But thank God they never went through with that. You don't remake a Christopher Nolan film, and you don't remake a good film like Memento. You don't do it now because now you're going to do it in some stupid way. It's not going to work as well because social media was not a thing when this movie came out. There were cell phones, but there were not smartphones. Technology has come a long way since 2000, 2001 when this movie came out. It would just not work if you do it now. So thank God they didn't do it now. It may it's more effective through the time that it was set. Now, if Christopher Nolan were to make Memento now, how would he do it? I have no idea. But thank God it came out when it did. It's one of the most celebrated films of that decade. It's one of the most influential films of that decade. There's a reason why people celebrate Memento, call it one of the best films that Christopher Nolan has done, or maybe to some people call it the best film that he's done. I truly love Memento, and that's why it's my number one. Gotcha. It's just too good. It's too good, and... Man, what a picture. To quote Al Pacino once upon a time in Hollywood, what a picture. Truly, what a picture. So it's it's so incredible. So we're gonna obviously give a shout out to the films that didn't make the cut, but before we do that, let's recap our list from five to one. So Katie, what is your list? So okay. For me, number five on my list is Tenant, followed by Interstellar, Memento, The Dark Knight, and Inception. And to recap my list, coming in number five is Dunkirk, number four is Inception, number three, The Prestige, number two, The Dark Knight, and number one, Memento. So that is it with our list. So now let's go into some of the honorable mentions. So there are obviously some overlaps on this list, and there are some films that I mentioned that Kate didn't mention, films that Kate mentioned that I didn't have on my list. So... You know, just to go through some of the honorable mentions, what are your thoughts on some of his other films? I'm going to throw some films towards you, and you can give your opinions on them. You can keep them as short as you want. Uh, So, obviously, talking about the two Dark Knight films that he directed besides The Dark Knight, what is your opinion on Batman Begins and The Dark Knight Rises? So, Batman Begins was um, an interesting, like, first look into Batman. It is seventh on my list, so it's Dark Knight Rises and then, um, Batman Begins. They kind of follow each other. They're two very good films. It's just, like, Batman Begins, I think, struggles a little bit more in the setup phase, uh, that happens to a lot of, uh, first movies in a trilogy. 
Um, and I just, I don't like Killian Murphy as Scarecrow. It's actually one of my least favorite castings. I get like Killian works with him a lot, but and just like for me, I wasn't a huge fan of that. So that's why Batman Begins falls um, to the back of, it's not, it's not the back, but it's like middle of the list. Um, Dark Knight Rises, I love, like I said, I love Anne Hathaway as Catwoman. Um, I, I went back and forth between Tenet and Dark Knight Rises, like I said. So, um, it's still a really good film. I think it's, I had my list pulled up. It's five out of five. Like, so many of Christopher Nolan's films are five out of fives for me. Like, they're just so good. Yeah, I love both Dark Knight Rises and Batman Begins. I think Batman Begins is a great example of how you do an origin story in a very unconventional manner. And then the Dark Knight Rises, I feel, concludes the story very, very well. And Tom Hardy is Bane. Oh, my God. Holy crap. You know, for a while, it made me scared of Tom Hardy. I still am kind of scared of Tom Hardy, not going to lie. <laughs> he's, he's so good. And, like, I didn't even, like, comprehend, like, what was going on um, with him and like getting, um, what's her name? Oh my gosh. Um, Talia, Talia, Mary, Mary, Cultiard, who by the way was fantastic in Inception. Yeah. I don't know if that was brought up at all, but she was incredible in Inception. No, it didn't. But yeah, she's incredible there and she is really good in Dark Knight Rises. Um, it, so, yeah, I very well cast Batman universe. Absolutely. And then the other film that has not been mentioned on either our list is Insomnia. So what is your take on Insomnia? So we were kind of talking about this before the podcast. But for me, I I enjoyed this one. I thought it was an interesting plot, especially with um some of like today's society with dealing with cops and everything um uh, it makes you think through it a lot more um for me this one falls lower on my list specifically because i can't imagine robin williams and a bad guy role which he is in this movie um and I, I will always have him pictured as, like, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire is, like, <laughs> the one role that I always have in my head. Don't ask me why. My mom would kill me if I said Mrs. Doubtfire was, like, my favorite Robin Williams movie. But it's, like, it's just there. And so seeing him as the bad guy is just really weird. Was not a fan. I, I think it's an interesting casting. But I, it's just not for me. What do you think of Al Pacino in the movie? I thought he was good. I have not seen very many Al Pacino movies. Um, like, I've never seen Godfather. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> oh. Before I started Slice of Film, I had not seen a lot of things. And okay. Godfather well, is one that has still... I don't know if this makes you feel any better, but Danny had, had not seen The Godfather until about, like, four months ago for the first time. <laughs> so I don't know if that makes you feel any better. Yeah. I've kind of accepted it. Everybody calls me, like, the dork and, like... Because, like, I hadn't seen Jurassic Park. I saw Jurassic World before I ever saw Jurassic Park. Are you trying to give me a heart attack on air? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) No, that's wild. That's crazy. Um, 
yeah, I mean, for me, I, I love Insomnia. I think it's a really exciting cop movie. I think it's one of my favorite cop movies, to be honest. Uh, Al Pacino, I think he's great in the film. I think the story is so fascinating. It's actually a remake of a Norwegian film, which stars uh, Stellan Skarsgård, which is really, really yeah. interesting. Um, but And it's also the only film so far that no one has directed that he did not write. So I think it's interesting that he directed something that he didn't write. But also, this was still early in his career. He was just coming off of Memento. And this was right before, obviously, he tackled his Batman trilogy and everything. But I like Insomnia. And I totally get your reason with, you know, being a little thrown off by... Uh, Robin Williams playing the serial killer, but I I think he was so good in the role. I I just thought it was cool seeing someone that's known to be very likable and over the top and goofy play this very intimidating, creepy guy. And that's the thing that I think works so well about that character is that you do meet him and he does come off as a creep, but he also has that charm that Robin Williams himself presents. So I feel like it was Christopher Nolan's intention to cast someone that is so not who you would expect to play a serial killer because it would catch you off guard. You meet Robin Williams and you're like, oh, this guy's really down to earth and humble and earnest. But then you find out that he's a fucking serial killer. And (laughs) I think it's great. I think it's really, really great. And then we won't have to go too long on this, but following his debut film, honestly, it's a debut. You know, you could see some of Christopher Nolan's isms throughout this movie, but it's nothing to write home about. I don't think it's a bad film by any means. You could definitely tell that he's still getting his foot in. And obviously with the budget that he was given, he did what he could do. And I'm glad that the movie was 70 minutes because, to be honest, I don't know how I would have felt that there was more of that. But it, that being said, I don't think it's a bad film by any means. I just don't think it's as exciting of a debut as other debuts that I have seen in previous years. Like... If I want to watch a great debut from a filmmaker that went on to being a lot bigger later on, like I could think of Blood Simple from the Coen Brothers. That's a really good debut. Bottle Rocket from Wes Anderson. That's a solid debut. Heart Aid from Paul Thomas Anderson. That's a good debut. But The Fallen, it's not my favorite. How about you? How do you feel about Fallen? <laughs> I think you said everything there is to say about it. I'm not... I've never been huge into all black and white uh, movies. I think color um, speaks a lot to the, uh, the way a person wants to tell a story. Um, and I just, I like seeing black and white makes me think there's no life and there's nothing to connect to. Um, and so I much prefer um, color and you can grade color any way you want. Obviously you can grade black and white the same way, but it's just for me, black and white doesn't hit me. Um, where it, it does for color. Um, I, I was not huge into the characters either. I think, um, the main character, which I can't think of his name right now. Um, um, Jeremy Theobald's character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The young man, uh, I was just not really into him. I think he's very naive. Um, very dumb. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for me, this one's the, at the back of the pack. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's really not a winner. But it's not, again, it's not a terrible film. Like, it's not like it's an unwatchable movie. It's just compared to everything else that he's done later on and compared to other debuts, it's just not 
the huge winner that I want it to be. But something that looks like it's going to be a huge winner is Oppenheimer. And, you know, to talk about our anticipation for that, I mean, I try to go into movies with the lowest of low expectations because I don't want to be disappointed. But how could you not be yeah. excited for this movie? It looks incredible. All the marketing that we've gotten so far is really extraordinary. And the behind the scenes that we've been hearing about this movie of how he somehow didn't CGI the, the explosion or whatever, the atomic bomb and everything. I don't know what that means. I have a feeling of what it means, but I don't want to know anything else until the movie comes out. At the time <laughs> of this recording, it's July 3rd when we're recording this, and this movie comes out on July 21st. So we just have about two and a half weeks to go until we all finally see this movie. I am so ready for this film. And I said this to you off air, and I will say it again. I truly believe that this has the potential of being Christopher Nolan's best movie to date. And I said a couple minutes ago that I don't know if I'll ever find anything that tops Memento for me. But everything that I'm hearing about this movie and all the trailers, all the commercials, all the featurettes that we have seen for this film so far, this really has the potential of being... Christopher Nolan's best film to date. It being based on a true story, him taking something that we're pretty familiar with but expanding upon it is so fascinating to me. I would love to know what drew him to present the story of J. Robert Oppenheimer on the big screen. And I think Killian Murphy finally headlined a Christopher Nolan film is a huge win because he's worked with Christopher Nolan so many yeah. times. But also Killian Murphy... He is a well-known actor, but he's never had the opportunity to headline a big studio film. He's headlined smaller independent films before. I mean, you look at the stuff that he's done with Danny Boyle, and then he's obviously been a supporting player in a lot of blockbusters. But the closest thing that he's ever led that has gotten a big following is Peaky Blinders, but that's a TV show. Now he has the opportunity of headlining the film where Honestly, if all the cards play out well, he could get his first Oscar nomination for this movie. And I really do think that this yeah. is going to be a major Oscar player. I think it's going to get in for pitcher. I think it's going to get in for director. Screenplay, you never know. It could find a way of making its way into adapted screenplay. And this could be, if I'm not mistaken, this could be the first nomination at the nomination for a Christopher Nolan film since Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger, I believe, is still the only Christopher Nolan performance to get an Oscar nomination. There hasn't been one since. And I think that this is the case where that will finally be broken, where we'll finally get another performance nominated. It looks incredible. Hoyt's imagery, Lelick's score is probably going to be euphoric and just the, it's so cool that he's finally doing an R-rated movie again. It's just, I, I know that ratings don't matter. Like, the movie could be PG and maybe it'll still be great, but the fact that he's doing an R-rated movie again is so exciting, and this looks like it's going to be a major, major winner. The fact that it's coming out the same day as Barbie is a whole other discussion. I think that's just so impressive that we're getting two films, two drastically different films, two highly anticipated films by the film community and average moviegoers 
coming out from two of the best filmmakers working today. Two filmmakers who, by the way, like I said before, were nominated for Best Director in the same year. So I think it's cool that they have films coming out the same day. And at the time of this recording, we have seen a picture of Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie holding tickets for Oppenheimer, standing in front of the Oppenheimer poster. Christopher Nolan, it's your turn, and Killian Murphy's turn to do it in front of the Barbie poster. Come on, we don't have a lot of time. You got to do it right now. You need to get off your ass right now and just do it. Anyway, <laughs> those are my thoughts on Mom how excited I am for Oppenheimer. <laughs> I'm so excited. What are your thoughts on um, Oppenheimer? How excited are you for this movie? I'm super excited for it. Um, I It'll be interesting to see an R-rated movie from Christopher Nolan on screen because I've never really expected that from him. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, seeing Memento, Memento being R-rated, like, it's a little bit different now than I had originally anticipated. Like, I think my mind's kind of set, okay, we can see how things go. Um, I do, I am a little concerned it's not going to get the notoriety that I was hoping it would get um, because it's rated R, but I'm still excited for it. Y'all, this has a massive cast. Like, I just remember seeing casting announcements, and it was like we were getting one every single day. That's right. Um, I, I can't believe I didn't even bring I, that up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's ginormous. Like, I'm looking at this, and, like, the cast list goes past, like, my monitor screen, and that never really happens. Um, it's insane. Um, but like one of the actors that I've always wanted to see work with Christopher Nolan is Robert Downey Jr. And after getting some of Florence Pugh's work, like I've always, like that was like the next one I really wanted to see was like them to get to work with him. So I'm super excited to see how that goes. Like I know Downey has kind of been taking a break from acting and kind of been more focused on, um, being behind the camera and stuff. Um, but he said, like, he got the opportunity to work with Nolan. He was like, how do you say no to that? You don't. That's the answer. And he's completely right. Um, the biggest thing, I guess, that I wish out of this is I wish, like, we were getting, like, a little more, uh, people of color in the cast because, like, it's all, um, white actors. And Mm -hmm. that, that was, like, a huge point on the Twitter feeds, um, when the cast was came out and, like, oh, (laughs) This is how you like your toast, Nolan, huh? Yep. Um, and it, it is a very important point to make out. It is, like, obviously, like, the timing of the movie being World War II. It's a little bit different. Um, but it still would have been nice to kind of say, hey, let's throw some other people um, of, of different skin tones in here to kind of diversify things. I, I really hope he does make a move forward with that. I know we already talked about it earlier and I don't really want to harp on it because again he is my favorite um director but it is a change that I'd like to see him make wholeheartedly agree so to close out our thoughts on Christopher Nolan again not to sound like a broken record but he really is one of the best filmmakers working today there's nobody like Christopher Nolan out there people that are trying to replicate Christopher Nolan I would just say stop trying because you're not going to be able to be on his level unfortunately um he finds a way of presenting these stories in a very innovative way. I respect his craft so much. I respect his style. I love what he's doing, and I love that he continues to pump out work. And I also really love that he takes his time. He doesn't pump out a film every single year. It's every couple of years he takes his time presenting a film, working on it, then 
releasing it to the public. And that's something that I love so much about certain filmmakers is that I know that certain films are easier to make than others, but I love that Christopher Nolan is not that kind of filmmaker that is so lenient on having to release a film every year. Ever since Interstellar came out in 2014, he's had a film come out every three years. That was 2014. Dunkirk was 2017. Tenet was 2020. And here we are in 2023 with Oppenheimer. I love the man. I really do. This guy, he has some hot takes. He has some very interesting insights. But I will always be there day one to watch whatever film he has coming out. So what are your final thoughts on Christopher Nolan? I love going to see Nolan's films um, because it's just... Uh, you can always expect a really well-told story um, and that it's super important uh, like to be able to think through everything and really let your brain kind of work through everything. These are not by any means um, turn your brain off movies. I know that's a popular phrase, um, but I love being able to go in and go, okay, I, every time I watch these movies, I can find something new. And it's always just fascinating to do that. I love being able to connect to the story, being able to connect to the characters. Um, this will be my third time seeing one of Tenet, uh, Tenet's, one of Christopher Nolan's films in a theater. Obviously, Inception and Tenet being the first two. Um, so I'm excited for it. Uh, I'm not seeing this in IMAX, uh, but it's because I have a migraine disorder. Um... So I have a hard enough time going to a theater. Um, just because of the noise sensitivity and everything, but I'm still really excited to see it. Um, it's, <laughs> it's going to be a weekend for sure with Barbie and Oppenheimer coming out. I don't think Christopher Nolan's going to be promoting Barbie because I think he's still really pissed off at Warner Bros. Um, so he doesn't want to give them any more money than he has to, <laughs> but I'm still, Super excited for this. Um, super excited for a double feature weekend. Um, I think both are going to be really great. Um, Margot Robbie. You can't go wrong with Margot Robbie. And obviously, you can't go wrong with Christopher Nolan. So Absolutely. Absolutely. Katie, I loved having you on. Thank you so much for coming on today to talk to me about Christopher Nolan. I had such a blast talking with you today about this wonderful man and his filmography. Yeah. Always happy to be here. Well... Um, I'm super excited to have you on to talk about Barbie, so. Yes, I cannot wait to come on and gush about Barbie. It's going to be quite a party. It's going to be quite a fun time. I cannot wait to gush <laughs> about Barbie. Hopefully, Barbie delivers. I have a feeling that it will. I At this rate, I, <laughs> I don't see it disappoint, but we're going to have our fingers crossed and remain optimistic. So, with that being said, tell the listeners where they can find you online. So y'all, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Slice of Katie. Um, if social media were to implode, uh, please go to my personal website. It's sliceofkatie.com and you can find where to find me. That is also a good resource for if you're interested in some of my writing. Um, it's got a very good archive of everything pre-2020. I've been slacking and updating it recently, um, but a lot of stuff is there. Um my two shows for the Geek Ultimate Alliance Podcast Network. One is Star Wars Alliance, which is on Twitter. It's at Star Wars Alliance without the A in the wars. Uh, very important. Don't forget it. Uh, that show, we are going through Rebels Season 2 right now. Or we're going through Rebels in general to prep for Ahsoka coming out August 23rd on Disney+. 
Um, so that's kind of what you can expect if you go listen to that show. We're also going through um, the old Thrawn books uh, from Star Wars Legends. So Clay, my co-host, is getting to experience those for the first time and it's been so funny seeing his reactions. Um, my other show is on Twitter. It's at SliceOfFilm1. Um, I just uh, reviewed Indiana Jones in the Dial of Destiny. Uh, I did the previous four movies with a co-host uh, on the network. Um, he's a big Indiana Jones person. So all five Indiana Jones movies have reviews on my podcast. Um, and then I've been going through the Mission Impossible movies as well. Uh, Danny is actually going to be coming on for Mission Impossible 6. Um, and then uh, the new movies uh, to talk about in July, obviously, Mission Impossible 7, going to be big one to talk about. Barbie and Oppenheimer are the uh, next three. And then that show is actually going to be taking a break. Very similar to you, Brian. I'm very burnt out at the moment. Um, need to rework some things because I want to have fun going to the movies again and not just think about it as work. So, yeah. Those are where you can find me. I will put links to all that in the description below. And you guys definitely will have to be on the lookout when I'm on Katie's podcast to talk about Barbie. I'll make <laughs> sure to inform you guys about that. So, yes, if social media does not implode, hope to God it does not. <laughs> hopefully by the time that this episode drops, everything will be okay. Everything will be back to the way it was just a couple of days ago. Uh, for right now, you guys can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Brian Suffield. You guys can find this show on Twitter and Instagram at Film Fragments. I will put links for that in the description below. Share this around. Rate and review it on any podcast platform of your choice. Be on the lookout for a couple of great episodes that we have coming in July. As Kay hinted, I am going to be taking a break in August. I will be talking about that a little bit more later on, but I did post some of it on Twitter. So you guys could be up to date with what's going on with this podcast. But right now, don't worry. We still have plenty of episodes coming out in July. We're in the early stages of July. So we have many great episodes, lots of great guests, lots of great topics. So stay tuned for that, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Let us know your favorite Christopher Nolan films and tell us your anticipation for Oppenheimer. I'm so curious to hear your thoughts on both of those topics. Thanks again, guys. Seriously, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate every single one of you. And I will see you guys for the very next episode of Film Fragments. Take care, everybody.